This is Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting Magazine, the most listened to podcast for parents by parents. Hey guys, thank you for listening to Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting Magazine. You can help us to level up by supporting this podcast. All you have to do is go to anchor.fm and search for Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting and then hit the button that actually says support this podcast. I want you to go there now. Go, 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 go. And thank you ahead of time. Hey there, everyone, and thank you for listening to Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting Magazine, the podcast talk show for parents. I'm Janice Robinson Celeste, your host and publisher of Successful Black Parenting Magazine. Know that our hashtag for this show is go to our Facebook page for Successful Black Parenting and share the link with your followers. Do that right now, right now, and let people know you're joining us. You can comment on Facebook and I will post the best comments live on air. Now, my guest today is Dr. Kimberly Underwood. Hi, Dr. Kimberly Underwood. <laughs> how are you? Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me. I'm glad you're here with us today. She is the research chairperson at the University of Phoenix, and we are discussing today the lack of Black male teachers. So this is an important subject. Now, Tell, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and how you got interested in this topic? Sure, I will. Um, well, first and foremost, I'm the research chair of the Center for Workplace Diversity and Inclusion Research at University of Phoenix. Um, mm -hmm. I've been in this position for about two years. Um, I've been in diversity and inclusion for about two decades, so I think I just dated myself a bit, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, but I've been doing this work for a while. Um, specifically in higher education for about the last six, seven years. And so, you know, in doing my work and being the lead of the research center, I got this amazing opportunity about a year ago. And um, the National Network of State Teachers of the Year um, came to University of Phoenix and said, hey, let's come together and look at some ways where we can collaborate. And so in having initial conversations it became really clear that, you know, this topic was really important to both organizations and specifically because INSTOI does have a um, Black Male Fellow um, program where they, each year they have 12 um, African-American fellows from across the United States um, that go through this year long fellowship. So we wanted to really come together to support them for a year as well as to look at this topic more in depth as far as the research. Fantastic. So um, how did that, that's how you got interested in this topic. So we know it's a problem and it's a problem from mm -hmm. kindergarten on up to higher education. Um, but why is this a problem? Why is this such a, a big deal that we can't seem to recruit and retain black male teachers? I think the big thing is, you know, in doing this work and our, our final product was this white paper that we released nationally in um, June at the NSOI conference. And the big, the major thing that we found was this number, two. So 2%. And when you look at, first and foremost, teachers of color within the, you know, teacher population, 
it's 20%. And so that's a small percentage anyway. But then when you look within that 20% and look specifically at, you know, African-American men, it's 2%. And so black males make up 2% of the teaching population. And so, you know, when you think of it, if I say, you know, your tires on your car have 2% of tread, you know, you're going to do something about it. Or you go to the doctor and he says, well, you only have, you know, 2% air that's coming in your lungs. You're going to do something about it. And so, you know, really thinking about that 2%, you know, what's being done about it. And so, you know, in doing this research and, you know, we looked at different avenues of where, you know, people are doing these um, efforts to recruit. And so we're finding that, you know, first and foremost, we're relying heavily on alternative certification um, for mm-hmm. those people who, you know, may not have that traditional education degree, um, finding that pathway into the classroom. Um, there are a lot of grassroots organizations, you know, Troops to Teachers is doing amazing work, Call Me Mister, um, you know, but yet and still, we're still at 2%. You know, there's been this major reliance on the HBCUs. And I will say that Howard University had this amazing program a few years ago where, I mean, basically they were grooming black male teachers and getting them into the classroom. But of course, you know, with a federally funded program, when funding cuts off, you know, then the program goes away. Um, And so, you know, really looking at what were these different avenues to really, you know, try to move that 2% forward to a higher number, but yet and still we remain static at 2% and let the truth be told, if you look very closely behind that decimal point, the number's actually going down each year. Oh, wow. Wow, that's sad to hear. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you have your white paper report that you guys, uh, you just referenced, but the Education Trust also came out with a, a report this week. Um, and so I know people are, are starting to pay attention and look at this because it's called, it's, if you listen, we will stay. What teachers mm-hmm. of color, uh, why teachers of color leave and how to disrupt the teacher turnover. And, you know, we're working on an article on that now, how parents can help to um, ask for specific mm-hmm. teachers in their schools. If you don't see anyone, it looks like it was really important that you speak up. Um, but yeah, so is it that, they're not being listened to? What, what are we finding? I think it's, it's just such a complicated process. You know, mm-hmm. we've looked at this through the whole career trajectory of the Black male educators starting in, you know, high school and middle school. And so, you know, first and foremost, are, are Black males even seen teaching as a viable option? Um, And we talk about the cycle of if I don't see, you know, teachers of color that look like me, how do I see this as a viable option for a career? And then you throw other things in it, such as, you know, the over-discipline of, you know, students of color, you know, the instances of standardized testing, and we know the bias there. And then you get into, you know, the other issues of, you know, the, the ability and the aptitude to want to label students of color as being, um, and I don't like the term, having a learning disability, I'll put it like that, Um, or having some type of challenge um, that keeps them from, you know, advancing 
or being successful and, you know, going into the programs and the classes that prepare them adequately for higher education. And so then you get into all of this as well as pay, teacher pay itself. You know, teachers, I, I think, you know, you should almost be paid triple, you know, for the responsibility mm-hmm. that you have. You know, so, you know, you get into all of this and then getting them into, you know, teacher preparation becomes difficult. And then I will say that, you know, historically, and I was in teacher preparation. I was an associate dean of a college of education at a primarily black institution. And I will say that I was guilty because as this associate dean, I, I know that we struggled to get students of color and specifically male students of color. But I don't think that I ever thought about what 2% meant in this global level and in this capacity um, and what it, you know, the implications were of that um, at a higher level than outside of my school. So, you know, really, you know, I think that a lot of teacher preparation programs need to take that responsibility. And then once you get actually get you know, black men through and successfully. And don't forget, we have praxis exams and, you know, ed TPAs and all of those things that they have, the hurdles they have to go through. And then getting into the classroom, then one of the things you have to look at is the actual socialization process, um, having to take on roles outside of just the classroom teacher. And so um, specifically, and if you you know, look at the white paper that we release, we use the voices of the Instoy fellows heavily to narrate a lot of our research. And so you'll see and you'll hear these stories of, you know, they talk about being the disciplinarian. And one, you know, fellow talked about every time a student of color got Mm -hmm. into trouble, he was pulled out of his classroom Mm -hmm. to be the disciplinarian and what he called an this touched me just when he said, I became all things black. So anytime anything happened with a student of color, black student, you know, discipline issue, mentoring was needed. Um, Some of them talk about, you know, having the father figure and, you know, being looked at as the father figure of the school and, um, you know, or being put in those coaching roles. And so, you know, they talk about, the responsibility and do understand one of the things that I will say, they never complained about that. Mm-hmm. They never complained. And this was a group of people that were so passionate about their students and what they did. And you'll see that within the white paper, but, you know, they talked about also, you know, seeing more people of color and more men of color in those leadership positions and being able to get there, you know, required them to have a finger and a pulse on the curriculum. And they're like, you know, being in those situations and in those positions where they were in the middle of the action and they really understood and they were seen as being valuable outside of these coaching and discipline roles and really being valuable to the curriculum, which they felt was, you know, necessary in order to advance into the assistant principal and principal positions. And so, you know, it's just really a lot of different factors, but I definitely, you know, and I, I will say I didn't read the report, but I want to, 
to read it because one of the things that we found was in doing our research, there's not a lot of research out there about what actually goes on once you get in the classroom. So when we talk about the recruitment piece, there's a slew of research there. But once you get into the actual classroom and classroom experiences, there's not a lot of research there. And so actually from, you know, my stance as the research chair, uh, we have launched the 100 Black Male, Black Male Educators Speak Project, where over the next year, we are doing in-depth interviews with 100 Black male teachers to look at what goes on in the classroom, you know, because you did make a good point about, you know, retention and teachers of color are more likely to leave the classroom than their Mm -hmm. white counterparts. And so, you know, really looking at what are those experiences, you know, how are they socialized? What goes on between, you know, teachers and leadership you know, what goes on with, you know, colleagues. And so what are those experiences that really, you know, create the dynamic of being socialized as a teacher? And then how does that impact retention? And so that's our next effort. Okay, okay. So let me ask you, um, because traditionally, teachers have been female and not the heads of households, that's changed. And yet the salaries haven't. How much of it do you think is a money issue? Because you you have families to maintain, whether you're male or female, really. But Mm -hmm. uh, if they can't make the money they need, especially with so many um, different universities and colleges hiring adjunct professors, the the salaries for adjuncts are are nothing. You know, you have adjuncts on welfare. So Mm -hmm. how Mm -hmm. much of that has to do with it? I mean, I think that, you know, pay is a big issue. Um, for a teacher and really thinking about myself, you know, going through, you know, my bachelor's, my master's, my PhD. I mean, if it wasn't for a fellowship, I knew I couldn't afford my PhD because I knew I was, I had those loans and I knew what that meant, you know, going forward, I had to find a job that could help me pay for that. And so, you know, thinking about going through teacher preparation you know, going for, you know, some type of advanced certification or some advanced degree. I mean, and then coming out and making 30, 40, maybe 50, you know, do I see that as something that is a viable option, especially if I am head of household or I am a single parent or a one income household? You know, is that something that will sustain? You know, and then you think about actually what you hear about education. You know, when you hear, you know, teachers paying for their own supplies a lot of times or supplementing, you know, the needs of the classroom out of their own pocket. And you put all of that together. um, It doesn't make teaching attractive to, I think, a lot of people. And even those, unfortunately, those that have a passion have to weigh you know, the, just the benefits of, you know, taking a career or taking a job somewhere else outside of education, if it is going to provide that income that they can sustain, you know, a certain lifestyle. I want to just read Crystal's comment that she posted. She says, I was lucky to have a black male principal in a small school, third to eighth grade. He walked the halls and engaged in the classroom. I didn't realize 
really realized how lucky I was. And I love how she says how lucky she was because it, it is, it's definitely a benefit. And she actually recognizes that and uh, it's important. And, that, and that's why we're here talking about uh, the lack of black male teachers uh, today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, so let me ask you, what is the University of Phoenix doing to recruit and retain black male teachers? Uh, are they working on it? And Janice, I will say, um, to talk about Crystal's comment, um, mm -hmm. before I get into that, I will say that, you know, in thinking and doing this project and working and doing this research, I thought about the first time I had my first black male in the classroom and it was in my PhD program. And he was like this unicorn. And it was like, <laughs> you know, finally, after all these years, I found you. And so, you know, really wanting, if we think about the purpose of education itself, which is to create these productive citizens. And see, one of the things that the Census Bureau has said is that, you know, by the year 2044, we're going to be this majority minority society. And so all this diversity is going to be present. And so we are preparing students that can be productive citizens within this diverse society. And how do you do that if you don't have diversity present in the teaching ranks, right? And so that being said, you asked a question about what University of Phoenix is doing. Uh, so, I, you know, I will say that we're, we're just really getting into this. Um, and so, you know, we're looking at our numbers, you know, we're looking specifically at our College of Ed and seeing, you know, what specifically we can do as far as programs. And then I know, like, for instance, we just um, had a full panel last Friday um, of Black male educators and hosted that panel to really talk. And we brought um, political figures together, you know, teachers, you know, administrators to really have this conversation about, you know, black males in the classroom and diversifying P through 12 education. And so I will say that we're just really, you know, I'm going to be honest. I don't know if we understood exactly the magnitude of what was going to happen just by this, through this one white paper. And so, you know, now knowing that this is such an important topic, you know, and really starting to do this extra piece of research around it and really delving a bit deeper into this topic, you know, we're really looking at the numbers and seeing what we can do. But we do know that, you know, in conversation and thinking about it, you know, it's going to be collective. You know, everybody has been doing things in the silo, you know, whether mm -hmm. it's the grassroots, you know, certain programs, you know, um, so really looking at what we can do more, you know, more concerted efforts, um, more, you know, collective efforts, and then really looking at, you know, what can be long-term and what can be sustainable and how do we get the right people to come together to remind everyone that, you know, this issue of black males in the classroom is important. And, you know, one of the things that I will say that in the webinar last week, someone said, well, why aren't you worried about all people of color? And my response was, and I will say it here, in looking at the 20%, there has been growth in each of the demographics, whether we're talking about black women, whether we're talking about Latino men, Asian women. I mean, there's been growth. 
in all of those demographics, race and gender, except for black men. And so that is why, you know, we're taking the torch and we're championing, championing for, you know, more research around this and resulting in more programming, more actions, and looking at this from, you know, hopefully a higher level. Um, one of the things I will say during the Obama administration, you know, this became quite a topic, diversifying education. Now, funding fell off, you know, administrations changed, but, you know, something that's long-term sustainable that's being put in place is something that's needed for us to really move past and move the needle beyond that 2%. Right. Well, what can parents do to encourage um, their school, their kids' school to take recruiting Black male teachers seriously? Like, how can they be advocates? You know, I think that it, it, anytime you have the ability to champion um, and knowing that, you know, know your numbers, you know, know the numbers of your school, not only know the numbers of your school, know the numbers of your district. Um, know the numbers of your state, they are readily available online. And so, you know, being able to, and I also say, you know, know your lawmakers. These are the ones that get these big programs in place, that get funding dedicated, you know, to these types of efforts. And so really being able to champion outside of just saying to your principal, I would like to see more, you know, Black men in the classroom. You know, this is a really a social issue and a, a problem. And so really a high level problem, getting people at a high level to really be able to see that it is an issue. And one of the things that we're also looking at is moving this white paper you know, to higher levels and sending it out and promoting it and flying it out at higher levels within government. And so getting that information out and pushing and always saying that they aren't there, because a lot of times I think that, you know, especially in the political arena, you know, we've done this. So we put this money here. We've done this program. And so, oops, fixed. Well, Mm -hmm. you know, this is something that still is not fixed and needs to be addressed at all levels. Right. Well. Camille just said it just occurred to her that in all her years of school, and she only seen uh, or ever had two black male teachers. So that's how deep it is. And, and he, everyone that you talk to probably can relate. But I like what Crystal also said. She came back and had another question. She said, how much do we discourage black men from going into uh, teaching in our own community by not valuing it or even speaking well of teachers? Black middle class families always seem to push for doctors and lawyers get that money as our focus. She said her four-year-old son has a black male teacher part-time. It makes a difference in his behavior. Mm-hmm. And so I agree with that. Crystal, I completely agree. And, you know, within this paper, we really looked at three schools of thoughts and specifically looking at why black men are needed in the classroom. And the first being that, you know, there's research out there that says, you know, black men are good for, you know, students of color. And then there's a second school of thought specifically that says Black men are needed and necessary to educate Black males specifically. And, you know, within both of those schools of thought, you know, there have been, you know, instances where they've shown 
you know, increased test scores, increased self-esteem, you know, um, better grades. And so that's there. But then there's also this school of thought that says, you know, black men and teachers of color are needed for all students and for students to be able to understand the value of diversity in society, you know, we have to be able to see that reflected within the most important, you know, place that students will go. Um, When you think about it, school is where, you know, they do a lot of their development and especially around socializing with others, you know, they do that within the school setting. And so being able to do that in a diverse setting, you know, is important. I think about, you know, the, when I first started, you know, this was when we had these school shootings and a lot of these public shootings and thinking about, you know, these shooters and all of this hate, you know, if they had had a more diverse environment or if they had had some interaction, you know, with, you know, someone of, you know, of color, you know, or of a different race, would that have changed? Could that have changed the situation? And not necessarily saying there's a correlation or anything like that, but it's just, you know, my own personal thought. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, really looking at this, whatever school of thought you subscribe to, the the situation still stands at at 2%. You know, how do you know? You know, I'm going to be challenged in the next year finding 100 black male educators to sit down and have this long discussion with because, you know, 2%. So, right, right. Well, we're running out of time, but I wanted to read Christian's comment. She said she only had one black male teacher and he was her music teacher. So like I said, everybody can relate. Well, I want to mm-hmm. thank you all for listening to Back Talk today by Successful Black Parenting Magazine, the podcast talk show for parents. If you missed part of the show, no worries. You can just wait a few minutes and click play for the replay of this podcast. You can share it with anyone who needs to hear it and get the word out. I want to thank you again, Dr. Kimberly Underwood, for coming on our show. This is such a great topic and it was such a great show. I want to have you back and talk about this again in the future. Absolutely. Our, our next episode will be tomorrow, Saturday, September 28th at 11 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. I will be interviewing Dr. April Lisbon who is a school psychologist. She herself is raising an autistic child who also has dyslexia. And we're going to um, talk about parent support when when children are diagnosed with special needs. So make sure you tune in and you can ask questions in the chat on Facebook. And if your question gets picked, I'll ask it live. One more thing, don't forget to follow us too on Twitter and Facebook at Black Parenting One and on Instagram, we're at Black Parenting Magazine. So our website is SuccessfulBlackParenting.com, and it's full of good content to help you thrive and not just survive as a parent. So be sure to rate our podcast. And until next time, we'll talk soon. Kahari, that's Swahili for goodbye. Take care. Good night. All right. We are off air. Oh, wow. We missed one. Uh, We had a good one. Thanks for tuning in to Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting Magazine. We'll see you soon.